Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. No Chris Peters today, bad news for the Chris Peters hive among our listeners, but uh, what we do have is uh, the episode solely devoted to Corey's redrafts. It has been redraft week for you on The Athletic this week, Corey. You've gone and done the past four drafts, 2022, 2021, 2020, 2019, if my counting is correct. Uh, and, and we're going to go through them today a little bit. Uh, some fun trends I think we can hit on. Obviously, the, the meat of this is we're talking about a prospect ranking, right? It's not so much this team should have done this. It's it's revisiting what the class looks like uh, one, two, three, four years later. So uh, we can dive right in there. I think it makes the most sense to start with this most recent one. And I was a little surprised that you still have Uri Slavkovsky as the top player in this class. Well, I think it's it was close a year ago this time, and I think it's still close. Like I'm not sure there's been a player that has so clearly risen above him. And if you've wanted to argue David Yerchek, if you wanted to argue Logan Cooley or Kevin Korczynski or whoever your favorite prospect is over Uri Slavkowski, I think it's reasonable. But I, I, we had this argument in the summer when we had uh, the, the debate episode with Chris Peters and Scott Wheeler about Logan Cooley. Logan Cooley had a fantastic season in college. It was in college. It was not in the NHL. Uri Slavkowski was in the NHL. And I think if you would evaluate the two a year ago before then, I, I lean Slavkovsky. So it's, I think this season will be a very interesting debate because Yerchek right now is in the NHL. I thought he looked good in, uh, in his first game, uh, up since Zakowinski's injury. And so we'll see how he does, uh, while he has his opportunity to play. And we'll see how Cooley does. Very promising start early on to his NHL career. Uh, but I, I don't see, like, like, I don't know what Slavkovsky did to, you know, to not be in the conversation at least. He's still in. I, I think that I think that's a fair way to put. It. You do have it as a tier, I guess. In, in fairness, you have a tier of Slavkovsky, Yurichek, and Cooley at the top. Cooley as, as number three. I guess I would have thought that he's the guy who's maybe raised his profile. Maybe less about Slavkovsky and certainly not Yurichek. Slavkovsky, Yurichek, obviously is rising here. But I, to me, at least watching, I feel like my, my question with Cooley had more to do with what is he going to look like as he translates up levels against bigger, faster players. And it's been really good. And 
given right. that, I think that the, dyna- the dynamism, right, in, in two games, but even in college last year too, I think you could say like, the dynamism you're seeing at, at the center position, I guess for me, would make Cooley number one. And he might be number one by this time next year. Like if, if, if he continues to look this good over the course of the full season, that might be where I land ultimately when we do this exercise again in, in a year's time. But for right now, I, I still think it's really close. You could pick, I think it's a pick him. You know, Slavkovsky's tool, physical toolkit is way above, but obviously Cooley's skating and, and skill are really dynamic. Yurchek uh, also has a very appealing and, and at times dynamic toolkit. So I, I think all those guys have very reasonable arguments. But again, you know, if you have to kind of do the what if, like what if Slavkovsky yeah. had played college hockey last season? You know, it's, I, I still think it would, I think it would have been really close. I think he could have had the kind of season that Logan Cooley had. Yeah. To your point, this being the most recent draft, there's probably going to be the least kind of movement here. We're still seeing a lot of that within the top 10, right? Pavel Minchikov jumps up a couple spots to number eight. Simon Nemec drops a few spots to number seven. But the two guys who I think really maybe kind of stand out moves here uh, at 10 and 11, Philip Bestead and Owen Pickering. I'm curious, especially with Bestead, who was a later first round pick, uh, what's kind of driving him up? And obviously the, the, the play in the SHL was really strong last season. Yeah, 6'3 center, skates well, good offensive skills, goal, you know, you know, can score goals, can make plays. I didn't love his compete in his draft year, and, and that's looked a lot better for me as, as, a, as a pro. Uh, in the SHL, he gets to the inside, he wins battles. Uh, I think he's going to be a, you know, a big-time player for their national teams going forward at both the U20 and the senior level. Uh, might even play senior level this season. He got an invite to the senior team at the end of last season. Uh, just you know, has a lot of the traits that you look for. Uh, in a true top center prospect, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not sure if the offense is going to be like elite to be a true top of the lineup center, uh, but I see him fitting in really well behind Will Smith on a potential Sharks depth chart. Yeah, and I think it is something that they're you know that draft is going to be obviously a hugely consequential one for San Jose. With they make the big big trade back there, and if they can get the value that, that it seems like they're going to get out of Beast at. Uh, that goes a long way to making that a successful draft for them. Uh, a couple of guys that they kind of fell that I wanted to ask you about. Denton Matejchuk, who I've liked every time I've sure. seen him, really. He he drops pretty substantially in this one for you. Right. And he had a really strong training camp. And, and there was a lot of positive things said about him through his camp process. I tried not to tweak this too much based on training camps. Yeah. Uh, I've been fooled many a times over the years by training camps. And I like to let the full season play really dictate where guys fall uh, on these type of preseason or really early in the season exercises. And Matej Chuck, I thought in his last full WHL season was good, but I didn't think he was exceptional. I didn't think he was a dominant WHL defenseman. I still think his skating and his skill are standout traits. And he could be that this upcoming year. I think they are hoping he will be that, especially after a strong training camp, that he'll go down in the dump. He'll be a top player. He'll be a top player for Canada's under 20 team. And I think that's realistic, uh, but he has to get it done still. And I thought watching him last year in the Western league, he looked like a, just a pretty nice five eleven defenseman and not a, what I thought he could be in a draft year, which was a potentially a unique five eleven defenseman. I think he's got to prove that a little bit more over the course of a full year. 
Yeah, I, I do like what you say about you know not overreacting too much to, to the early camp, and, and I imagine that's why Matthew Poitras in the forties here, right? Because based sure. on what we see, he's quick to the NHL. He's made a little bit of an impact, but it's still so early. Yeah. Oh yeah, because I, I think I talked about this on the episode last week. Like I've seen Victor Mete do this. Like I, I've seen these guys who you think aren't going to make it, and then they make it, and then two years later they're they're a healthy scratch, or yeah. they're in the, they're, they're in the American League, and and like I said, everything about Poitras's start has been not just promising, extremely promising. If you're a Bruins fan, you're ecstatic with this camp. You're ecstatic with how his first game or so has went, but he's still a 5'11", mediocre skating forward who's going to have to really prove it game after game, I think, for me to elevate him to being a true top-tier prospect, even if it seems like that's where the trajectory is extremely early into his pro career. Yeah. And I wonder, I don't know if, you, if you've gotten much feedback uh, in NHL circles or, or not from these lists yet. It's, it's obviously they're just coming out this week. A- any quibbles with Matthew Savoy at 19? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think that's kind of the consensus among NHL people. He didn't have a, you know the year you hoped he would last season. And obviously he got injured in training camp. So he didn't get to prove in, in Sabres camp that, that he's taken a step. Still a very nice player, but kind of the same analysis as Matejchuk. Where great skater, great skill, competes well, but for a tiny guy, it's not special traits you usually associate with a top 10 pick of that frame. And that's something he will need to prove going forward as he does have those special elements in his game that he can show consistently. And then one more guy here that I, I, I really think the, the fan base is going to be keyed in on. I guess I haven't scrolled the comments too in depth here, but Lane Hudson's a guy who ever since his draft, uh, the arrow's been... Up, right? I mean, and I don't think you're surprised with this based on what he did at the at the national program. We knew he could, uh, you know, be a dynamic player, but he does it in college. Uh, he, he looked outstanding at the at the World Junior Camps, and I, I think going into this, a lot of fans are hopeful that he now projects as a top four D. Uh, you've got him here in the mid twenties. I think it's at twenty five on this list. What went into the calculus on how to place Lane Hudson? Because I do think that the upside is is really evident there. Right. And to your point, we thought he would be a very good college player right away, watching him with the national program. But I don't think even some of his biggest fans thought he was going to be this good real quickly. Where you're talking about a guy who was frankly a Hobie Baker yeah. discussion as a freshman, not the favorite, but a guy who was inserted into the conversation. That was unexpected and, and how good he was. And then he goes, not only has a good world junior camp, a few, a few months ago, but he has a strong men's world championship as a, as a under twenty player. So, uh, you know, ex- outstanding hockey sense and skill. A very shifty, elusive player. Uh, you know, Hudson, as he was in his draft year, and as his brother Cole will be in this upcoming draft, is a very tough player to debate and remains so in NHL circles. He was a guy who some people thought should have been a first-round pick going into his draft. He goes right at the end of the second round. And talking to some NHL scouts a year after that great performance at Boston University, there are some who feel he should have been a first-round pick, maybe even a strong first-round pick. But there are plenty of NHL people I talk to who still have their doubts, who still wonder how a tiny defenseman who is not an elite skater and doesn't have a ton of physicality in his game is going to translate into the NHL. And some might even say he will play in the NHL, but is he the kind of guy who can elevate in the postseason? Is he the kind of guy who could be a premium player, or is he going to be the kind of player who you're going to need to shelter? 
I think those questions are remain in some capacity. I kind of in the middle, I think there is some translatability questions still that keep me from saying he is among, you know, the premier defense prospects outside the NHL. But I think there is definitely something different about this player. This is not just your standard small, pretty skilled defenseman. Like he's got some pretty elite traits in his game that makes me think it will translate that he will be a good NHL player. But I probably need to see more still at the highest levels, be it college, senior level, maybe even the World Juniors, uh, to be confident that he should be, you know, called a top 10, top 15 pick caliber prospect. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right, let's get into 2021 now, Corey. And uh, really, the, the names in the top four here for you are the names that went in the top four, but a little bit different order. Uh, Maddie Beneers at number one, Luke Hughes at number two, uh, in 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 a tier of, of kind of their own in the bubble elite NHL uh, and NHL All Star tier for you. Uh, how did you kind of parse that against Owen Power and Mason McTavish, and especially you know Hughes so new into the NHL as opposed to Power, a little more track record. Right. If it doesn't translate, Egg will be on my face a year from now, given that Owen Power looks like a star and just got paid like a star. Uh, but, you know, with Hughes and I just think the traits are just off the chart with the, with how good a skater is at that size. And I think he's going to get plenty of power play opportunity. And he, I think he's got that offensive ability to produce in the NHL right away. I think it will translate right away in a significant way. But obviously, if it doesn't, uh, that ranking will look extremely aggressive. Uh, but I think those four guys, I think you really could argue those four guys in any order. Maybe McTavish can't get up to one reasonably at this stage, but I think you can put those four guys in almost any order and and I wouldn't quibble too much. Yeah. And, and McTavish, a little bit of a validation. He was kind of the the late rising name in that class. It felt like after the, the U18 Worlds, his star really ticked up. So a little bit of validation there for him to be in that group. Another guy who ticked up after that U18 Worlds. Uh, and clearly not high enough. Uh, Wyatt Johnson ends up going, I believe, 23rd in this class. You have him in a tier of his own uh, at number five in this one on the redraft. And what's important to remember with McTavish, but especially with Wyatt Johnson, was that was the COVID draft. That was the year of the stops and the starts and the OHL doesn't play and the WHL plays like their bubble season and, you know, the Q pauses, the, the leagues in Europe take mid-year pauses. It was a really chaotic year to scout players. And Mason McTavish plays uh, his year in the Swiss second tier pro league. And then he goes to the U18s. And Wyatt Johnson doesn't play at all 
that U18 Worlds where he doesn't get power play time despite being an offensive guy, a power play guy coming up through the years, including at the U17 Challenge, including with Windsor as an underage player. He doesn't get that offensive opportunity with Team Canada and his only hockey he plays all season. And, and that was it just such, a, such an interesting draft to look back on given that context and seeing what why Johnson ultimately ended up becoming which it looks like an extremely important young player right now for the Dallas Stars' future. A guy with elite, in my opinion, offensive hockey sense and creativity and somebody who I expect will put up a lot of points in the NHL. We've heard so much in the past couple of years about the, the Dallas draft that landed them, Miro Haskinen, Jason Robertson, and Jake Ottinger. In this 2021 class, they already have two guys uh, in your top 10 here because not only is Johnson at five, Logan Stankovan is clocking in at nine for you. And, and really, he's one of two second round guys who worked their way into the top 10 here for you. Not Matthew Nyes is at number eight. Stankovan's at number nine. They surpass kind of Dylan Genther, Cole Sillinger uh, in your rankings in, in, a, in a different tier even from those guys here, a half a tier for you. I thought that placement was really interesting to see those second rounders work up into the top 10. Sure. And obviously they haven't played a ton of pro hockey. I mean, Nyes played a little bit towards the end of the season. So there's always that calculation you have to make about what you've seen from Sillinger as a pro, for example, even though there was a tough year last year, he's still only a teenager in pro hockey. So you got to think about more projection, looking at the traits, the body, the skating, the skill, thinking about what he'll be in three, five years. Uh, but comparing that to guys like Logan Stankoven and Matt Nice, and I think Logan Stankoven, despite his diminutive frame, I, for me, every time I've watched him for years now, Stands out. He is an impactful small player with outstanding skating and, and offensive skills and competitiveness. And he's a guy who I think would have made the Dallas Stars roster if they didn't have the depth chart and the, and the cap situation they had right now. I, you know, his camp was that good. And so I, I don't have much reservations putting him there. Like I, I understand, especially if you compare it to like to Dylan Gaither, who was a top ten pick, Western League player. You can quibble like hey but like, i don't know i've watched both of those players play in the western league i have watched them be on team canada together and i would say stan coven has been just as good if times not better so I, I and i understand there's a massive size difference there but i think stan coven skates better i think he competes better so i, I don't think it's unreasonable to at least suggest they're close maybe you prefer one or the other yeah. and maybe comparing like matt nice to like sillinger uh i see the big body average skating comparison there i think nice is bigger and uh and i think his compete is as high doesn't he have the, the killer in him that cylinder has but i think his compete is really good he's excellent in the high percentage areas and i just think his game's really going to translate even though i know the first game or two with toronto he i don't think he's like stood out but i think he's going to be just fine in the nhl yeah. When we were in the 2022 segment, you kind of talked about, you know, not getting fooled by training camp and wanting to see a little bit longer of a run before you elevated some of these guys from the second round and beyond um, up really, really high. And I think JJ Moser is a great example of, you know, he is now a guy who has a full year and a half under his belt here. He was in the NHL uh, for half the season after he was drafted. He plays the full year last year, puts up 30 points on the blue line for Arizona. And he has now clearly cleared that bar for you as, as checking in. I, I think he's at number 16 for you. Right. And he was drafted as a re-entry eligible when Arizona took him uh, out of the Swiss League, uh, comes into the American League and is excellent right away, gets to the NHL. And, and there are some people who will look at his performance and wonder 
you know, is this a guy who was just playing a lot because Arizona doesn't have a great team? And I get that argument to an extent, but you still have to produce when you get those opportunities. And if you don't, that, those minutes will be taken away from you. So I don't, you know, J.J. Moser's average size, don't think his skating is amazing. So I don't, despite his great numbers early on in the NHL career, I don't look at this guy who's going to be a true top pair guy when Arizona's trying to win. You compare his toolkit to, say, Dmitry Simashev. Dmitry Simashev looks the part more of a premier defenseman in the NHL. But I think J.J. Moser is super smart. He competes well. And he looks like a guy who could be a really nice second pair guy when Arizona is trying to win. And getting that guy in the late second round is a massive win. Absolutely. Another guy, this guy was kind of the the story of that draft uh, at the time of it, of the, wow, did you see this coming? Tyler Boucher uh, at the time goes to Ottawa. I believe he was the 10th pick. He clocks in for you at uh, number 31 here. So it, it, it is a little bit of the uh, anticipated spot in the redraft. But what have you thought of, of Boucher's arc since he was drafted? Well, I thought Boucher was a good player when they drafted him. And I've still maintained ever since they drafted him that he is a, of good to, if not at times, looks like a very good player. Uh, his health has been a major issue. I think if he was consistently healthy, he could be a little bit higher on, on this ranking. Uh, but like he's, you know, he's a good skater. He has skill, extremely physical and competitive, can score goals. I don't think he's a natural offensive guy, but I think there is secondary NHL offense in his game. Uh, I think with Bush, they chased a player type when they took him. They wanted to get the super physical winger who would add a particular element to their lineup, which I understood. And I said at the time, and I maintain now, if you would have taken that player at 20, no issues. Even at like 17 or whatever, like a little high, but but it's, it would have been okay. I thought I just thought, where they went to go get him at 10, it was a little aggressive. At 10th overall, that's the kind of area in the draft where you need to get a top six forward. Like he needs to be a legit high in the lineup guy for you because there's only so few of those guys in a draft and they usually all go in the top 10 to 15 picks. Uh, but then once you get past that group, you kind of pick your flavor a little bit. And of course, Ottawa's argument would have been they didn't have the 17th pick. They didn't have the 20th pick. They had the 10th pick and they liked the guy, right? Yep. And I, and I understand that argument. You got to take the guys you like. But I just felt it was a little aggressive for the player. But while still admitting then and now, he is a good hockey player. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's take a quick break right there. We'll be right back with 2020. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, we're back, and we're going to do 2020 here now, and, and we just finished the segment talking about uh, Ottawa and the Tyler Boucher pick, and 
did they maybe reach a little bit there? This will be the relief for for Senators fans who are listening to that one and, and maybe getting a little riled up because you've got their two guys from this class, Tim Stutzla and Jake Sanderson, as the two best players in this class, which is great. And it's even better considering they didn't have the first or the second pick. They were picking at number three and five, and they come out with two years later, three years later, the guys who look like the two top players in the class. At premium positions, too, a legitimate star first line center, a guy who looks like he has a, a really good chance to be a legitimate number one star defenseman like that. Like those are the kind of guys you can build a contender around, frankly. Yeah, and, and I think Stutzla continues to climb. You you see the kind of leaps that Jack Hughes has taken as he got into the league a little bit more and, and he becomes that 99 point player last season. He looks like he might very well be a 100 point player this year. And you wonder, like, what is in store for Tim Stutzler, who has a little bit more size to him than Hughes did, uh, does, and, and was already a 90-point player. Would it shock you if Timmy Stutzler is in the Hart Trophy conversation within the next year or two? It would not, no. I think he has that kind, those kind of traits. I think his game is just so good in so many elements. The elite skater, elite skill, he competes his butt off. I mean, he can score goals. There's, he's just an outstanding hockey player who – it's interesting looking back on this draft, and you could have – you know, gone back. You there were a lot of arguments between him and Quentin Byfield at two. There were minority opinions in the league that had him at one over Alexi Lafreniere. But now, only a couple of short years later, it's not that he's the best player in the draft. It's that he's the best player in the draft, in my opinion, by a country mile. Like the next best player, who is I, who is Jake Sanderson, who I love, and Anton Lindell, who I love. They're not even close to him as a hockey player, in my opinion. Yeah. It's a tier and a half to, to you know to use your your scale that you use it on. You go elite all star, uh, and then it, you get to the next is Jake Sanderson is bubble NHL all star at top of the lineup. So that does drive home that that point to that gap. You, you talked about the comparisons against Byfield, and I would like to talk about uh, Lafreniere and Byfield in a second here. But they get jumped by a few different players, and, and the next two players right after Stutzel and Sanderson are actually Anton Lindell and Alexander Nikishin. It kind of repeats that premium position vibe. Yes, we haven't seen Nikishin yet in the NHL, but what he's doing in the KHL has to give a ton of confidence as to, as to where it's going to project. Yeah, like I said, not in the NHL yet, but when you're a 21-year-old defenseman in the KHL who's 6'4", who skates well, who's extremely physical, who leads all defensemen in scoring, I feel like I can sit here and rather uh, easily say that I think he will be a very good NHL player. You know, will he be this good? We'll see when he gets there. It still has to translate and he has to prove it on NHL ice. But given everything he's accomplished and, and all the great attributes he has in his game, I I feel pretty at ease putting him very high among among this age group. So this is going to be a, a Captain Hindsight question here because I Nikishin was not on really my radar um, in his draft year. I look back now and I see a, a six foot three, six foot four defenseman who played twenty nine KHL games, and I I wonder like what was it that led him to fall into the third round to, to be available there. Uh, there were two things. One was an offense question. He definitely has developed way more offense. People saw the size, the skating, the physicality when he was draft eligible, and he also was a player who there were medical questions on. There were there and uh, being a player in Russia, I remember in that year there was no combine that year because of COVID. So there's there no way to examine the players. So that was an issue as well. Uh, so he, so there was a medical question, there was an offense question, and thus he ended up going in the third round. All right, yeah. Um, plus, being, we, plus being a Russian. 
Right, for sure. Always, always a factor, especially uh, these last couple seasons. Uh, let's get now to, to Lafreniere and Byfield. They come in at number eight and nine. And, and I think for as much as the hype was with Lafreniere and, and the natural kind of rebound from that as that hasn't maybe materialized, you still have both of these guys as, as top 10 players in this class. Uh, yeah, they're really important players for their NHL teams right now. I mean, Quinton Byfield is playing a huge role on the Los Angeles Kings that have legitimate uh, contending aspirations this season. Uh, Lafreniere has been kind of like in this quandary in New York where you know they play him a lot, but they have some really, really good forwards on that team and a really good power play. And it's been hard for him to get those premium opportunities, but he's still a guy who's extremely talented and produces well. His skating has held him back from being a true premier talent in the NHL, but I still think he's an excellent player. But he's an excellent player in that I think he could be, you know, a 50-point guy, a 60-point guy at the top of his game, not maybe that 90 or 80-point guy you were hoping when you took him 1-1. Absolutely. And, and so that's that's where he falls behind kind of the, the Raymonds, the Quins, even Dawson Mercer, who kind of has that additional really, really hard element to him. But you just see that maybe they're all in the same tier, but you see maybe the little bit extra juice so far from, from those top few guys. Right. Especially guys like Raymond and Quinn, who where the offense, you know, has translated a little bit more quickly. And both of them aren't amazing skaters either, like Lafreniere, but you just seen when you've seen guys like Quinn and Raymond in the NHL that they've been able to kind of show the puck game and the offensive creativity a little bit more consistently and have had more opportunity too, quite frankly. Yeah, and Raymond off to a really good start uh, so far this year for Detroit. We talked about one of the surprises from the 2021 draft uh, in, in Boucher, but it, that, no comparison to what the surprise was in the 2020 draft. When the Blue Jackets took Yegor Chinnikov, this was a guy that had some of the on-air analysts like checking their notes to make sure they had something on this guy. And while I can't say, you know, three years later that that turned out to be far and away like the best pick Columbus could have made, it, it looks very much like a reasonable par value pick here based on your redraft because you've got Chinnikov right, right there at 31. Yeah, you go into a little bit higher than that on draft day and such unique circumstances. The, the COVID drafts being 2020-21 led to very unique circumstances at the draft where this draft took place in October. So the KHL season had already started for a few weeks. And Chinnikov, who at the time was a second year eligible, but yes, somewhat technically entering his third draft eligible season, came out of the gates flying in the KHL with Avangard, produced at a really significant rate for a teenager, looked really strong, and Columbus ends up taking him in the first round after, after this guy had already gone through a draft. And I and I had, you know, heard some buzz on his name before COVID even happened. Like there were, you know, Central had him as a B-rated player, second, third round range player. And then he had that really hot start. You thought, oh hey, he might be a second round pick. And then you hear his name go in the first round and that pick is aged fine. Like Chendikov has had some good NHL flashes. His skating is good enough. I don't want to call it a high end skating, but it's good enough. He's skilled. He can shoot the puck really well. I just don't know if he is, you know, a, a really distinctive goal scoring winger as opposed to just, you know, more of your, your more routine middle six type of player, but that player still is a reasonable first round pick. All right, let's let's uh, go to 2019 now. And the farther back we get, kind of conversely, there, there's less movement at the uh, more recent drafts. And when we get to 2019, it's, it's almost less shocking because we've seen this play out over three or four seasons in some cases in the NHL. Obviously, no shock. Jack Hughes, number one here. Uh, and, and we kind of know from your U23 rankings in the summer that you have Dylan Cousins and, and Trevor Zegras 
uh, in that next grouping. I, I'm still a little surprised about uh, Moritz Sider behind Cole Caulfield and not with in that Cousin Zegers tier, wherever you might have ordered it. Um, what is it that kind of drives home Caulfield for you as as being above Sider? I know it's the, it's the same tier. Yeah, and they're so close. And you can you can have some quibbles, you know, and obviously Sider's off. To, and this is kind of the tough thing about doing this exercise in mid-October as opposed to mid-September because Sider's off to a very strong start the season right now and you, there's some maybe some recency bias that make you and and these arguments are happened in the summer yeah. too so it's not recency bias versus cider but you're like oh maybe he should have been higher maybe he is two three or four and maybe if you ask me to do exercise again in six months from now I'll, I'll change my mind again as i've changed my mind probably every six to twelve months in terms of what order these players should be in but i just think you know as i've always felt with cole caulfield that i just think there's a special element to this player that i just think his skill and his goal scoring ability are among you know the best i've seen over the last 10 or so years and with that being said he's still tiny and not an elite skater and there are reasons he did not go top 5 and and, and there are some people in the nhl who even see what he does and have some skepticism about whether it will lead into postseason success. But I just, like I said, I just think Sider is a great player. He has all the traits you want. But if I had to pick the two of them, I just lean Caulfield because I just think what he can do and the way he does it is very unique. And it's hard to think of other, even one other player in the NHL who looks like him and can do some of the things he can do with the puck. One of the things that jumped right out to me with this one was this was the year that Ottawa did not have uh, their first round pick. They they lost it uh, in, in the Matthew Shane trade and and they kind of decided to keep it the year before. They they take Brady Kachuk looks obviously like the right decision and even more so because while they lost out on the fourth pick, which became Bowen Byram in this draft, they get, they get Shane Pinto with their first pick of the second round and he is now a top ten player in this class for you. Right, which is makes it even more interesting given that as we record this, he's currently unsigned, yes. <laughs> um, and it just shows how like it's so like I and I understand salary cap negotiations, etc. It's so strange to me that we sit here, this guy's unsigned because he's such an important player to this team, and th- this is a team that's trying to make the playoffs this year. And I like this team; they're a good team, especially with Pinto and Josh Norris in the lineup. I think Ottawa can be a really good team this season. Is and Pinto, you know, not in, you know the the foot speed lowered him a little bit to the second round in this draft year, but you know he's got offense, he competes well, he he gets to the to the hard areas. Um, you know, he's got a goal scoring touch, like a really nice centerman. Uh, you just got to get this guy signed. Yeah, I, they absolutely. And I think they have the luxury a little bit that they're, they're surviving without him. And and obviously I think the Josh Norris, uh, injury troubles kind of maybe up the urgency a little bit, but the end of the day, you look at Ottawa and the way they're set up to have Stutzla, Norris, Pinto, uh, they've come out of this in, in a really great spot in the center position. Well, you mentioned that fourth pick they lost too. You you really look back at this draft. Uh, you know, you never know how draft classes are going to age over time, how the depth's going to look, where the, where the talent drop offs are going to be. Even though uh, I think you look at a lot of these drafts and the talent drop offs tend to happen roughly around the same spot. I think we noted before we started recording that in three of these four draft classes, it just happened to work out coincidentally that I thought the top tier. All you know spanned fifteen players in three of the four draft classes. Twenty twenty being the exception. But if you look at this draft class in particular, there was exceptional talent to be had in this draft. Now they didn't go all go in the top five picks, uh, but there were. I think I had uh, 
seven, you know, legitimate franchise talents. Now, at, at least now I have not the time, but now I have that rated in this draft that there were seven, you know, legitimate franchise talents to be had in the 2019 draft. And if you had an opportunity to get one of them and you didn't, it, it does hurt a little bit. Yeah, it, it takes back. We, we have the conversation about kind of deep drafts all the time. And I remember at one point you had asked me, you know, do, do I think the 2019 draft was deep? And I immediately was like, oh, absolutely. Because you're thinking of, well, Cole Caulfield went at 14 and Matt Boldy made it, you know, as far as he did. But you look back at this now and we are talking about, you know, Shane Pinto, who's a really good player, but he's the ninth player in this class here. Now, Philip Broberg, I think we're still waiting to see really, really deliver uh, on his on his abilities is at 11. Arthur Kaliev went in the second round. He's at 13 and not like a huge, huge piece by any means. He's a, he's a really good player, but not a franchise kind of piece. We're talking about him at 13 in this redraft. It's and interesting. You go into the, tw- the 20s and there are guys who are frankly not even NHL regulars yet. Right. Elmer Soderblom's in there. Peyton Krebs, I think, has kind of established himself as that. But yeah, you're Maybe, right. No, yeah, Nolan like, Foot, Jordan he, Spence. He's the, he, he goes, he, he's gone from fourth line up, down a little bit. Like, you know, it's it's a lot of those type of players. Yeah. And I, I think it's where, where it takes me is I think you, you kind of mentioned it with where the kind of drop off is. But I think when fan bases especially go into a draft and they're thinking, OK, we got the 17th pick. That should be like this kind of player. And I think we could just go through and, and look at that. 17 in, in 2019 was Phil Tomasino uh, in, in, uh, in, on the redraft. Uh, in 2020, it's Yaroslav Askarov. So maybe that is the, the actual kind of deep, deep draft here. Uh, 2021's Cole Sillinger, Joachim Kamel at 17 in that one. That's still pretty solid. And then you drop it off to just 19 or, or 20 or 21. It's a different kind of player. At 20, you're talking about Chaz Lucius, Dylan Holloway, uh, Peyton Krebs, and, and Rucker McGrory. And, I mean, if if I gave you one and four of those over under, one and a half of those are going to be top six players. What you take over under? It's close, right? It's close to a push, frankly. Yeah. So if you're picking, you know, it can be a huge difference picking 15, 16, 17 to 20 in what you can expect out of a draft class, I guess is the point I'm making. Yeah. Like, I think they tend to have a lot of similarities year over year. I I always tend to say, most draft classes are the same. And when I have, I hear pre-draft buzz that this draft is deep or whatever, which it's always that this draft is deep. Nobody ever says this draft sucks. Uh, but whenever I always tend to presume the draft is going to be the same as all other drafts, unless I have overwhelming evidence to the contrary. And even though 2019 ended up being an extremely, uh, you know, deep top of the draft, you can argue the body of the draft actually was quite underwhelming. Yeah, and it it shows because you get to the place in, in your tiers where it's just projected to play NHL games, which is not the most, it's, it's certainly not a bad thing, but it's not the most ringing endorsement either. You're getting there in the early 30s every single year. More or less. Yes. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Great stuff, Corey. Make sure you get onto The Athletic to read all those articles from Corey. Uh, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. We're going to be live streaming at least three episodes a week, plus a bunch of other content. We'll talk to you soon.